All right, freaks, we got a big episode here. Ed Dowd, former portfolio manager at BlackRock, uh, self-proclaimed Wall Street geek who's been diving into some very interesting insurance data as it pertains to um, an, an injection that's become popularized over the last couple of years. Uh, came on the show to talk about what he's seeing out there. And the data is very compelling. I, I recommend you you approach this episode with an open mind. Don't emotionally and immediately react just because of the content of the conversation. And listen, listen to the conversation. It was a good conversation. I think so. I'll say so myself. I'm a bit biased. This is my podcast. I am putting out a product that I I want you to believe is a good product. I do think it is a good product. I believe per, personally it is. And I think this episode is a, is a good piece of this overall product that we're offering you. So open, uh, approach it with an open mind um, and get angry if you agree with the, the content of the conversation because it is something that is pretty enraging if you uh, are able to open your, your mind and critically think about um, what's going on right now in the world. So enjoy. This room is brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. They're right down the hall for me here at TFTC Studios at the Bitcoin Commons in Austin, Texas. They're building incredible financial products for Bitcoiners with security in mind. They have their Vault product, which is two or three multi-sig quorum, a collaborative custody model where you hold two keys, Unchained holds one key. You always have complete control of your Bitcoin if you have your two keys. If you're ever in a pinch, Unchained is there to be the second in the two or three multi-sig quorum uh, to, to make sure that you can move your Bitcoin. They've open sourced that Vault product solution via Caravan. They're contributing to Bitcoin open source community and projects. They've got a R IRA, not IRA, RIA. IRA? IRA. It's IRA. They've got an IRA product as well. You can roll over your, uh, your IRA into Bitcoin and do it in a way where you actually control the keys of, of your Bitcoin that you hold in your IRA, which is very important. Uh, they've got their lending platform, which allows you to use Bitcoin as collateral to get US dollar same day liquidity. And they're building out more and more products every day. They have a white glove concierge service that will take you from zero to having a multi-state collaborative custody vault set up. You tell them the TFTC sent you, you're going to get $50 off that package. That package includes multiple video conference calls. Uh, they're going to send you hardware wallets and then they're going to dump a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats into your bolt once you have it set up. Go check everything they have going on at unchained.com. This rip was also brought to you by our good friends at Brains. Brains. There's a team behind Slush Pool, which is the oldest and longest running mining pool in Bitcoin's existence. They are also the team behind Brains OS Plus firmware, which if downloaded on a compatible ASIC, is going to help you stack more sats with your hash. It's a beautiful thing. If you have an ASIC that is Brains OS Plus firmware compatible and you're not running Brains OS Plus firmware, you are leaving sats on the table. It's as simple as that. The Brains team is also here to get you wise on everything going on in the Bitcoin mining space, whether it be via their blog, which puts out incredible content. They just dropped a piece on Paraguay today that I highly recommend you freaks check out. Uh, on top of that, they have a data page, insights, I-N-S-I-G-H-T-S dot brains, again, B-R-A-I-I-N-S dot com, which is going to give you all the data you need on the state of the mining industry, profitability of individual machines, 
uh, pool data, hash rate, difficulty, all that, and more. Go to brains.com to check out all this. This rope is also brought to you by our good friends at Hoddle, 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 Hoddle is here to bring you a lending platform that requires no KYC, no AML, and it's peer-to-peer. What you do is you go to lend.hoddlehoddle.com. And if you're a Bitcoiner is looking for liquidity, you don't want a tax event, uh, but you need to spend, uh, you need liquidity, uh, and you don't want to sell your Bitcoin, you put your Bitcoin up in a two or three multi-sig escrow account. You hold one key, your counterparty in the trade holds one key, and then Hoddle Hoddle holds third key. You do not have control over your Bitcoin in this. However, since you do hold one key, you have visibility into the collateral multi-sig address. Well, the wallet, excuse me, which allows you to ensure that uh, as throughout the duration of your loan, your SATs are not going to be rehypothecated. So if you're paying back your loan, you're going to get your SATs back at the end of the day. You know it's in the escrow multi-sig wallet. Uh, you put your Bitcoin up as collateral, you get stable coins in return. Uh, and again, you pay back in stable coins. If you're a stable coin guy or gal and you want to get yield on your stable coins, you're not doing anything with them. This is how you do it. You're going to lend.hodlhodl.com and you put your stable coins up to be lent out on the other side of that marketplace. Go to lend.hodlhodl.com. Check all this out. No KYC, no AML, leverages Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties, peer-to-peer. It's a beautiful thing to see. Okay. Last but not least, this rip is brought to you by good friends at the Bitcoin 2022 conference. We are two weeks, two and a half, three weeks away. We're getting close, freaks. All right. Biggest conference in the world ever. Ever. Bigger than Live Aid and the World's Fair combined. And it's going to be cooler. Much cooler. There's a bunch of Bitcoin stuff going on. They're releasing the schedule. They're, they're slow dripping it. Um, <laughs> your boy, Uncle Marty, is. We're, Matt and I are going to be doing a live RHR on the open source stage. I'm going to be on a mining panel. Is the SG an attack on Bitcoin? You're going to have other influential, uh, I should not refer to myself as influential. You're going to have other Bitcoiners, uh, CEOs in the space, uh, people building apps. Uh, it's going to be a beautiful experience in Miami, South Beach, April 6th to 9th. First day is industry day. If you want to bump elbows with people in the industry, you go to that day. Day two and three are general conference days. Again, many stages, many talks, many panels, many demonstrations, Day six and seven, or excuse me, uh, that's the seventh and the eighth, days two and three of the conference. And then day four on the ninth, you have uh, a music festival. Logic's going to be there. Dead Mouse is going to be there. Steve Aoki is going to be there. Run the Jewels is going to be there. It's going to be a beautiful day. They got comedy as well coming to the conference. Go to b.tc slash conference. If you have not bought your tickets yet, use the code TFTC for 10% off. TFTC for 10% off B.TC slash conference. Get the tickets while they're still available. And I'm sure they're going to be going up between now and the beginning of the conference. Um, reminder too, if you want to uh, take part in the fountain.fm contest that's going on right now, download the app, listen to a rip on that app. You're going to get a thousand sats deposited into your fountain app. Uh, account within 24 hours and then one of you lucky freaks is going to get 50,000 sats. Uh, this is running through March 31st. Enjoy this episode with Ed Dowd. Ed Dowd, excuse me. Very important episode. Approach it with an open mind. Yeah, I think we may be being lied to. And I think the data is proving that we're being lied to. So, like, look at the people. 
in the mainstream? Like, do you think they would ever lie to you? Do they lie about Iraq to you? Do they lie uh, about inflation to you over the years? Do they lie about who killed JFK? They lied about Kalfa Tonkin. It's just like, do, do you believe these people have the capacity to lie? And then listen to this episode. Enjoy. Take care. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Probably should be. Yeah. It feels like they are trying to sweep this all under under the rug at Dowd. What the hell is going on out there? Um, it's insane. It's absolutely just bat, S-H-I-T, crazy right now. Yeah. Um, you know, one, one thing that uh, I find super interesting is uh, there's really been no one. I was expecting hit pieces. I was expecting, um, you know, them to somebody in the establishment to come after me, they're, they're just ignoring me, basically. Uh, I was fact-checked by AP, and I was referred to as internet chatter. Internet uh, chatter. Internet chatter. Uh, I was, um, uh, yeah, so when we, before we discovered the CDC data, um, we were doing insurance company analysis with my, um, my still anonymous partner, who's an ex-Wall Street number one ranked II, insurance analyst and uh, we were just going over the earnings and then we, we found results suggested that young people were dying at faster rates and that death excess deaths were occurring in the second half of 2021 and they fact-checked me and they said our experts say it's this internet chatter about life insurance companies is not right and that's it that's basically the fact check they they, they talked to experts whoever those are and uh they said we were wrong. That was the fact check. Yeah, and that's why I'm so happy to have you because you actually are diving into the facts. That's been one of the most discombobulating things of the of the last two years is dissecting data and finding out what is actually good data and what is giving signal throughout all the noise that's being spit into the world right now. And, and I think the data that you're diving into in the insurance industry is very high signal. It's hard to argue with the excess death data and how it lines up with the vaccine rollout. And uh, so how did you decide to focus in on the, these insurance claims specifically in, in relation to excess deaths and the vaccination campaign? Yeah. So, you know, let, let's go back a little bit in history. You know, in, in the seventies, we had uh, a swine flu that came out and there were 25 deaths and they stopped the program. Signal came out early and it was pulled, right? So when this thing started getting rolled out, there were doctors who were seeing the signals and they were censored, smeared, and deplatformed. And, you know, I've been onto the game of censorship for a while. And, you know, when I see someone censored, I run to them like a moth to a flame. And uh, I'm like, well, they're, they must be saying something uh, truthful if they're being censored. And so early on, I, 
you know, I, I personally didn't take the vaccine, not because I knew what I know now, but just, you know, a couple things. It was experimental technology. It was Operation Warp Speed, which, you know, that sounded to me like a disaster from the get-go. Anytime you speed something up, corners cut, safety protocols ignored. And I also knew it take, took uh, seven to 10 years for vaccine safety data to be vetted before they launched it on the markets. This was done in six months. So I just said, I'll wait. And I started seeing these doctors, these uh, brave frontline doctors coming forward. And then I started hearing anecdotes and I had a, an eerie feeling that I shouldn't be hearing anecdotes. And then I heard Steve Kirsch speak, who's also been outspoken on this issue. And he said that uh, from a statistics standpoint, uh, you know, you're going to get some vaccine injuries and deaths in a normal vaccine, but they should be so rare that no, you don't hear a story. You don't have a friend. You don't have a relative. And I started hearing stories from everybody. Everybody knew somebody where something weird happened. And then either the death uh, directly in your circle or, um, you know, one degree of separation away, like, my, you know, like, I didn't have a death in my circle, but I had a friend whose uncle died. And it's like, I shouldn't be hearing it. So I knew something was up. So, you know, I was super not into this vaccine and then uh, trying to warn people, you know, people that, that what shocked me was the propaganda and, and the absolute lies that started coming out. You, you got to remember early on in this campaign, it was sold as safe, effective and prevented you from spreading and getting it. Well, over, as we rolled through the year, uh, the, the people who got vaccinated were spreading it, getting it, and uh, and then they had to change the definition of a vaccine in September. On September 1st, the CDC changed the actual definition of a vaccine. You can't make this up. You, you know, used the old definition used to be um, uh, a vaccine would prevent the transmission of the disease and lower your probability of getting it. And they changed it to basically what sounded more like a therapeutic. It would prevent you from being seriously hospitalized. I mean, that's not what a vaccine is. That's a therapeutic. Well, um, and so, right. so, you know, it just, I mean, you, it just, it, and then, you know, I think around that time, the efficacy was down to 50%. I mean, it was just, you, you saw, you've seen the meme where it shows them saying what they said in the beginning and then they kept changing the story. Yeah, hundred percent um, effective, 70%, 50. 70, 50, 35 uh, negative. Uh, with Omicron, it was actually negative 35% efficacy. So you had a more chance. There's been studies in Sweden and uh, other countries where that have definitively peer-reviewed studies that show that if you got the vaccine, you were more likely to get Omicron than the unvaccinated person, which, I mean, that the, in, and of, in and of itself, they should have pulled it on that. Um, and then, you know, I, when they started mandating this and I saw the pressure that people were put under, and I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a freedom-loving, civil liberties kind of guy, and I was horrified. Uh, and I, I, viewed, I viewed forced vaccinations and mandates as a form of violence. And uh, so, I, you know, I, I, pr I prayed to God to be of service. And Dr. Malone and Steve Kirsch came to Maui in October and through a series of weird coincidences, I got hooked up with them. And um, I told Dr. Malone early on that I'm gonna be watching the insurance and the funeral home data because I'm a Wall Street guy. So I look for other data sources to, to verify 
what what's going on. And what I, what would horrify me was Steve Kirsch and Dr. Malone were already pointing out the Bears database. Steve Kirsch had done a ton of work on that and proven beyond a doubt that you know you could depending upon the uh, underreporting factor and the seventeen thousand ways you can calculate it. it he came up with 150,000 to 400,000 deaths in and around that time. Which, and which, go ahead. You want to ask I was going to say, it's just fascinating because I mentioned to you, we're not showing this on YouTube because I don't want another strike, but that's why I got the last strike is because we just highlighted the VARES database and the fact that these adverse reactions and deaths are being reported in this database. Like we didn't even jump into whether or not it was verified. Like every case was verified. We just said, Hey, this database exists. It seems like there are people reporting adverse reactions and even deaths. And we get a strike on YouTube, which leads me to the question, like why are they censoring? What are the incentives behind the, the overt censorship of any type of discussion like this? Well, so as, as we rolled through the year, I came up with a, a thesis called Metafraud. And uh, I came to the conclusion that Pfizer uh, participated in clinical trial data fraud. Uh, the FDA was in on it because of uh, um, the institutional imperative, which that institution has been corrupted over time. They get 50% of their budget. So you had the government, uh, you had Pfizer, in on it. And then you ask yourself, well, why would they censor? Well, the tech companies were getting, and, and the mainstream media at the time I came up with that thesis was getting advertising dollars from Pfizer, mega, mega amounts of, of advertising, both Facebook, Twitter, all the social, YouTube, um, the mainstream media. So I thought it was just Pfizer advertising dollars, but I also figured that um, they wanted to create a COVID economy where pure tech uh, um, company like Facebook or Apple or um, YouTube, Google, you want to get in on the, um, the future revenue streams of the surveillance of a vaccination passport where you get quarterly jabs. There's a lot of money involved there, right, in the surveillance of this. So I figured, I figured it was just good old-fashioned greed and uh, propaganda, uh, greed and power. And then we found out a couple of weeks ago, I'm sure you've seen the story with the mainstream media and I'm sure some of the tech overlords received um, um, money from the Biden over over a billion dollars in money to promote the vaccine. Number one, number two, not book anybody who had the uh, counter narrative or any facts that would support being the vaccine being pulled. So, you know, the more we learn, the more the more insane this becomes. I mean, we're, we're I view this as a fraud in progress. And it's, you know, we're in the, you know, I'm the guy, I'm the guy on, on Wall Street saying, I think there's fraud. I have an investment thesis of fraud and people, you know, are starting to do the work. But it's like, it's like when Chanos was claiming Enron was fraud before, you know, everybody agreed with him. Stock was still 50 bucks. He was the lone guy out there saying it was fraud. Everyone thought he was kind of nuts. And that's kind of where we are right now. Like people you know, a lot of people think I'm nuts, but more and more people are starting to come around to my point of view, because as we roll through this, the sad thing about all this, and this is, this is where, you know, myself and my partner come in. The only reason we're here is because um, the bodies are piling up and the injuries are, are, you know, are piling up and showing up in databases outside of the government, which I guess they've been hiding them from us. And, you know, the frontline doctors, are the brave ones. They're the ones whose careers are on the line. 
who got smeared and deplatformed, they had to signal early. So if, if this was the 70s, the vaccine would have been pulled, but it wasn't. And here we are today with two ex-Wall Street geeks, you know, having to expose this. And the fact that we're here says that the system of government, watchdogs, regulators um, is broken down. It's, it's, it's just broken down. And yeah. I have no other explanation for it. It's completely broken. Um, that's why this is a Bitcoin podcast. We believe that the central banking and political structure has completely failed the people and we need uh, a monetary system that's completely separate from that. But we'll, maybe we'll talk about that later. Uh, yeah, we could talk about that later. I have, I have views on that for sure. I'd love to hear them. Um, the You tweeted out earlier this week, you think there's been like an active like campaign to actually kill people. Like, Is there... And that's the thing uh, I've been juggling in my mind. Is this pure economic incentives or is there a nefarious undertone to all this? And it, well, it, so when I, when I went out on Steve Bannon's show and coined the term de democide, which is death by government, we don't need to figure out whether it was intentional or stupidity. But through the mandates and through the CDC data, we show a pretty clear signal that the millennial cohort, the 25 to 44, had excess deaths accelerate into the mandates. And so I said, that's democide, that's death by mandate. Now, whether it was nefarious or not, you know, I, I, I'm of the opinion something nefarious may be going on. I have no smoking gun proof, but all we know is that governments killed people through mandates. That's just a fact. Okay. So, um, well, we can debate that fact, but the signal is pretty strong. And we're, we're going to be, we're doing more research. There's more to come on this. Um, yeah, you know, like I, I told you, I've been doing, I'm, I'm new to this media game and mm -hmm. I have to balance between doing podcasts and shows and doing research. So, you know, I, I don't want to get too far away from the research. So that's why I'm not doing eight podcasts a day. I'm trying to spread it out. And, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that you, uh, reached out to me because um, you come highly recommended. So thank you so much for, you know, being patient and me getting back to you. So I appreciate that. Nah, Ed, the pleasure is all mine. I mean, a uh, mutual friend uh, reached out to me and said, you have to reach out to Ed. And I, like I said in DMs, I, I told him, I was like, it's hilarious because I actually reached out to him an hour ago. And <laughs> again, like the, the, the work that you're doing is extremely important. And in getting back to the data, you said it's, you said it could be debated. Like, step aside from vaccines, like it's undebatable that mandates, lockdown mandates specifically have killed people. You know, increased yeah, so, rates of obesity, suicide, all of that. Oh yeah. So, so let's talk about that. Um, let's talk about, let's focus in on the vaccine. Um, so the pushback that people could say about the all cause mortality for all ages was, well, Lockdowns, suicides, fentanyl, right? Mm -hmm. When we, when my uh, partner, the ex-insurance uh, number one ranked Wall Street analyst, went into the CDC database, he, we were looking for something else, and he found out that they they aggregated all the data by all ages, but they did break the data set did break it down by age. So he decided to take a look at it by age, and create his own baselines from twenty. 15 through 2019 by age. And when we saw the, when he made the chart of the millennial cohort, it was a clear signal. And you've seen the graph, 
that we put out on Twitter. And basically, it shows a peak in 2020 from mostly lockdowns and suicides and what have you, some, some COVID deaths, obviously. Um, but then, then, it, then it, you know, kind of rolled over a little bit, but didn't go back to baseline and then started to crawl into, uh, started an upward trend into the summer. And then once the mandates hit, it spiked at uh, such an alarming rate. And, you know, we focus on the rate of change, right? It's the slope of that line. And, you know, between March of 2021 and February of 2022, 61,000 uh, millennials uh, above normal trend line died. And a big part of that was a, was the spike into the fall, you know, this August, September, October timeframe. So, the, you know, with that cohort, it's hard to say a bunch of people decided to commit suicide in a two to three month time frame all at the same time. Um, it's hard to say that a bunch of people all decided to, you know, overdose on opioids and fentanyl into the, into the fall. It's hard to say that a lot of people uh, got cancer and died because they missed their treatments all at the same time. And this is a, this is an age group that doesn't uh, really go for cancer screenings. I mean, when I, I remember when I was in that cohort, I, well, I don't even get cancer screenings now because I'm healthy, but I, 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 I never once got a, a cancer screening treatment. I, I, mean, I, I mean, do you know anybody your age that's uh, going for cancer screenings? No, no, I can't say no. so. <laughs> no, I mean, I, so. I, I've, uh, colon cancer runs for my family. From what I understand, I don't have to start getting a colonoscopies till I'm 40. So I've got some time. There you go. And uh, so 25 to 44, uh, people weren't dropping dead of cancer. So the, the only possible explanation that doesn't seem to be allowed to be discussed is the vaccine. Um, but, you know, look, there were, if you look at the, the, the full, just the, the CDC's all-cause mortality chart that they actually post, there was a spike into the end of 2020, which killed mostly old people. Then it rolled over, but then it reaccelerated into the second half of 21. Almost went to the same peak with miracle vaccines, um, and uh, and what have you. And so the question is, a base base the baseline case is this: it's been an epic failure globally because everybody else's excess death rate curve looks like this as well for all all ages. Uh, whatever they whatever policies they undertook, they they killed it as much as many people in, this, in, in year two of the pandemic than year one. So that's an epic failure in my mind, right? But when you parse the data, uh, there was a mix shift. So in, the, in, the, in year one, 500,000 Americans died, okay? Most of those were old with comorbidities. And, and so we pulled forward a lot of old aged, uh, old, old people into, into premature deaths. Then in year two, uh, 2021, we had about 500,000 people die. The, and then we had what we, what we call on Wall Street a mix shift. It shifted down to younger people. And so COVID's decided to only go after younger people? I don't think so. The variants are all getting less uh, virulent. They're killing less people because that's what a virus does. It gets le less uh, virulent over time. So the, 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 the Delta and the Omicron were not as bad as the first one. So you can't tell me that COVID's now only focusing on young folks. So we've had a mix shift in deaths to this to year two, down in age. And that that you know, the signal there is it's got to be the vaccine. 
And uh, it can't be all fentanyl and suicides and uh, missed cancer screenings. I'm sorry, it just can't. No, especially when you consider that the, the economy started opening up more and people yeah. had the ability to flee to states like Florida and Texas. I was one of those people who took advantage of that in Austin, Texas right, right now. And what's weird too is just, so I got the Delta variant in June, never got the vaccine, but there was like a weird incessant like begging of me to get the vaccine after having natural immunity. So like not only... Um, are people not allowed to talk about the vaccine as being something that entered the market that may be causing excess mortality rates. But on top of that, like if you got COVID and you tried to make the argument for natural immunity, it was this weird and incessant nagging, like, no, you need to get it anyway. It's like, eh, I'm not sure that's how virology or immunity works. It's just no, like, it, no, we tossed out normal science and it became this, bizarro decrees from the CDC and Fauci. I mean, they went against all known science. And uh, then there was a public shaming campaign that went on. I don't know if you have relatives close to you that like put pressure on you. A lot of, yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that, that, that uh, I have lots of friends who were, you know, shamed into getting, I know, I know a, a female here on Maui who got dose one of the two dose first reg, uh, regimen and she had an ad adverse reaction. She decided not to get, you know, the second dose. And the, you know, the thing that appeared on her neck went away, thankfully, but then her mother ins insisted on her getting the second dose. And then th there was talk about her not being able to go to a wedding. I mean, it, it's insanity what's gone on, but the, the way that they divided people and, convince some people that if you weren't vaccinated, you were like, you had cooties and you were at, you know, at risk of, of, of killing them. And you know, what we're finding and what's going to come out eventually is no, it's actually the other way around. You're the people that are, are at risk. You're the ones actually that are the super spreaders because you don't present symptoms and you're carrying viral load around. I mean, this, this is the biggest S I S H I T show I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get too dark, but like we're only a couple of years into this mass vaccination campaign. Like, is it something similar to AZT was during the AIDS uh, epidemic? Like, are we reintroducing something like that to the populace? Which, if you understand what happened back during the AIDS epidemic and how AZT factored into that, it's extremely scary considering the the magnitude to which this vaccine campaign has been waged compared to what happened with AZT. Yeah. So, so we got, we have the, we have the acute deaths. So we have the deaths, right? What are the implications for those who got it that didn't die long-term? And we don't know. And there's already studies, peer reviewed studies coming out that suggest that weakens your immunity, you know, permanently, potentially. Um, and that's why we're hearing about all these weird diseases coming back. I mean, syphilis is coming back all of a sudden and lots of sexually transmitted diseases and lots of um, weird things going on. Okay. Uh, so, you know, if there's, the, you know, there's a new term called VADES, vaccine acquired immune deficiency syndrome that's being bandied about. I'm not going to go there, but I will say this, the, the, uh, the injured, the vaccine injured are going to be a real problem. And it's going to, uh, 
it's a problem for the insurance companies. It's a, it's a problem for the medical system. It's a problem for the labor force. It's a big problem. And, you know, we, uh, I'm not going to put out an estimate, but we're, we're working on an estimate of how many vaccine injured there are in the U.S. that have, you know, serious disability that prevents them from working. And I'm not going to say the number right now because we haven't done enough work, but it's, it's, not, it's not a small number. It's material. Unfortunately. It's material, yeah. Well, um, so th- th- look, this is a Bitcoin podcast, right? So, no, we we delve into other topics. Don't worry. All right, but, but this is all it's it's, to, it's all about human liberty and lab- uh, logic and critical thinking in the digital age, and Bitcoin's just no, a part correct. of that. And Bitcoin plays into that um, in a big way. But let's 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 talk about what are the implications of what myself, my partner have found and others are starting. I mean, the C, it's coming out that the CDC is now pretending that they coded things wrong. And yeah. So, but you know, as we roll through this, I'll make some projections of what I say. Let's assume I'm hundred percent correct, right? Say my thesis is correct. I mean, I obviously believe it is, but let's say I'm correct. What does that, what does that mean? That means almost every institution in this country is about to get blown up. And I don't mean like violence wise. I mean, you know, it's going to be the, the trust in those institutions is going to evaporate and people are going to demand that these institutions get rebuilt from the ground. So what are those institutions? Well, FDA, CDC, NIH, all have to be rebuilt. Um, all of Congress and all the senators on both sides of the aisle, doesn't matter, for the you know, there's a couple out there like Ron Johnson and a couple others, but most of these guys have been silent. They're all going to get voted out of office. Uh, the the uh, the current um, uh, desec- desecrated uh, desiccated uh, puppet is, uh, Joe Biden is going to get thrown out of office. Um, I mean, it also has implications for uh, the drug companies that they go bankrupt a lot and. It, the medical profession, no one's going to trust their doctors, right? Uh, lawyers are going to sue everybody in oblivion. All the corporations that mandated this are going to get sued. Um, I mean, it's, I mean, you can't, I mean, it, the daisy chain, it just keeps going and going and going. Um, it's, 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 that's actually mind boggling, like the implications of, of this. And, you know, what do we do for the people that are injured? I mean, you know, how are we going to take care of them? What, what's going to happen to them? You know, let's let's talk about the injury, right? Because what's scary to me is that the lagging, the potential lagging effects, injured being injured, those injured being part of that. Like with myocarditis specifically, like am I right in understanding that, like the like, yes, if you don't die right away, um, you're not you're not in the clear even. Like your life expectancy, like your Expectancy of death after something like five years is fifty percent, and if you take that out a decade, almost a hundred percent. Or I'm pulling these numbers from memory, but the point I'm trying to make is, if these many people have myocarditis, even though they didn't die right away, we can see in the coming years just waves of deaths that are a product of this injury. Yeah, you know, Doctor Peter McCullough, who's like, you know one of the experts in this area has, you know, stated that, you know, you get myocarditis, it's a lifelong thing. It doesn't just, you know, the heart doesn't heal from that. It's, it's, it's an issue. Okay. Um, 
And is it any wonder that soccer players are dropping all over the place? The reason why we haven't seen as many, you know, NFL football players or NBA football players drop is that soccer is um, the most cardiac demanding sport. Uh, and that's, and so that's why they're dropping because these are top athletes who are more fit than NFL football players from a cardiac standpoint, more fit than NBA players, and they're dropping dead. And that's due to, like, I mean, I, we know what it's due to. It's due to climate change. It's climate change. Oh, climate change, or apparently uh, cold weather now causes blood clots. Did you know that? Uh, I heard stress from the Ukraine wars is, is causing these heart attacks as well. Right. So they tried, they tried to float the idea that cold weather caused blood clots and me being the, yeah, the cynic I am and like to create some sort of humor. I said, well, it's a wonder the Vikings were able to um, ravage their neighbors to the South without dropping dead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they also introduced another term called winter vagina. <laughs> I have not heard this one yet. Oh yeah. That, that, yeah. That's, that's in the UK. Um, Cold weather can cause blood clots and winter vagina, whatever the hell that is. Winter vagina. Eh, I don't even want to go there because, uh, <laughs> I mean, but it, it highlights the absurdity that they're taking this to. They're trying, they're trying to paint it on a hey, climate change, winter vagina, the, the, the cold weather, the hot weather, anything but the vaccine. And they're, they're pushing it through mainstream narratives is like leads me to question like how scared are they behind the scenes like they're taking it to such absurd levels such clown world levels that anybody with two brain cells to rub together can see through this like wait like you're saying it's stress from the war climate change cold weather like none of this is computing yeah um so what well, you know there's a term for that it's called gaslighting so we're at the yeah. point in the um in our uh, empire let's call it the american empire where the fraud's gotten so big that we're at the point of straight up gaslighting. Um, and, you know, gaslighting is a form of psychological abuse. And literally, they're gaslighting us with absurd stories. What's frightening to me is that there's so many people that still buy off on this nonsense. And they scare me more than the people gaslighting me. It's the, it's the ones who wear the two masks who you know, still social distance and still run out to get their boosters and are scared of me. These people frighten me and there's too many of them. They all have Ukraine flags in their profiles now. It's, uh, I know. Isn't that amazing how we switched uh, from um, Biden um, BLM flags to um, Ukraine flags? I mean, these people do whatever. I mean, they literally jump when someone says boo. And they're not even aware that they're doing it. No, I mean, it's, it is scary. It is quite frightening. And it's, I mean, it's, uh, we've been saying on this show for some time, it's just like such a massive sunk cost fallacy that people do not want to admit that they've been lied to. They do not, they cannot believe that they've been lied to on this scale. But again, if you like, if you take a step back, look at the data, it's inarguable and it is like that. I guess we're at this crazy inflection point in human history. I mean, if you 
believe the sovereign individual thesis uh, that the nation state has gotten to an extent where it's so bloated that it's going to implode on itself and it is and has been for you know, many would argue over a decade since 2008 at least um, and people just don't want to believe that they've been lied to their entire lives I mean there are people my age we've been lied to I was born in 1991 we had 9-11 and the Patriot Act in 2001 we had the great financial crisis in 2008 uh, and everything that's gone on in the last few years, literally my entire life has been filled with lies from from the government. Many people my age, older, younger, don't want to believe that, that they can be lied to at this scale. But in my opinion. Yeah, no, that's, it's so fascinating you say that because there's so many people who can't wrap their minds around this. And that's why I try not to go into the, is it a plan? Is it not a plan? I just go into good old fashioned greed and power. People can wrap their minds around that. And I'm trying to put together the case for that. And it, that's, I think, why I'm getting media play is that it's undeniable at this point. I, yeah, I'm a little bit hopeful. More and more people, are re- I mean, a lot of professional, high powered people are reaching out to me behind the scenes. They just need to go public and start talking. Um, uh, so it seems like there's a quick awakening. But the thing, that is most concerning for people like you and me is the amount of cognitive dissonance there is. You know, um, if you got the vaccine, you don't want to believe that you may have just poisoned yourself. You just don't want to believe that. So you, you literally go into this weird, you know, denial. What well, the four stages of grief: denial. Hopefully, we get them to anger, and then from anger, we get them. Well, hopefully, they skip depression and go straight to acceptance, but action acceptance. Like, okay. I was just bamboozled. I may have been injured long term. I want I want something to be done about this. But right now they're in the denial stage. And you know, think about Wall Street. A lot of the people I'm trying to convince to um, get negative on Pfizer and Moderna and and uh, understand they were that, that fraud occurred. All were mandated to take the shots. Yeah. I, I mean, all of them. Well, I know. On Wall Street, I know a number. I mean, a number of people in my family are in the banking industry, and they wanted to get back to work. They were told, "All right, get the get your two doses, get back in the office." And they didn't want to get it; they got it against their will. But they were like, "All right, I need to get back to work, make all this money." And then, as soon as they started pushing boosters, like, "What the fuck? No!" So I know that there's at least some critical thinkers on Wall Street have gotten to that point, did the risk assessment. Like, I don't care if I get the jab, whatever. I need to get back making money, but there was a line. There seems to be a line for at least a number of people where it's like, I'm not crossing that. And yeah. And, and making here's them the other question. thing that people need to know. It's, you know, it's not definitive hundred percent, but it looks like I'm going to go out and say, I'm not a doctor, but I've had doctors tell me that um, the injuries and deaths are dose dependent. So if you got the first two jabs and we're okay, uh, the booster, it's like Russian roulette. You start off with one bullet in the chamber, but when you get the booster, you put two bullets in the chamber. So your odds go down of avoiding risk. Um, and then you get the, you know, you get the fourth booster, you know, you put another bullet in the chamber. So, you know, I think I would love for people in these corporations to say, you know, we're not signing up for quarterly jabs until we drop dead. I mean, that's what I'm hoping there's lots of silent and, and, and a lot of pushback. And I'm hoping like people that you know in your family that are at these banks, you know, hold the line. Because that, that's what's going to stop this, is the holding the line. Yeah. I mean, and the, again, the, the incessant pushing from like Pfizer 
in the CDC. Like they're trying to mandate that children get this five to 12 years old again. And they're in a cohort that is, they're more likely to die from the flu than any of this. And it's, Again, not only is there going to be backlash, the anger stage is going to be somewhat frightening because I think coming after the kids line that you shouldn't cross and they're crossing it shamelessly. And Yeah, I have friends on Wall Street that are more in line with you and me, but they have to be quiet about it. But they've, they've told me that some of the, you know, really big proponents of getting, you know, lining up for the jab in New York. Um, when it started to come, come to the realization that their kids had to get it, that's where they, they said, no, okay, I, I did it. I did my part, but this doesn't affect children. No. So even some of the people who are big proponents of getting the jabs themselves don't want to see their kids get it. Now there are those crazy holdouts that, you know, think this is the best thing since sliced bread and want to give their, you know, newborn, um, uh, want to give their newborn, let me just turn this down, when they want to give their newborn uh, the jab. So the good news is, is that more and more people are waking up to this, um, whatever this crazy mass psychosis is that's gone on. I mean, it's, I just, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I love talking to, I have a lot of, a lot of people like to give millennials a hard time. I have a lot of millennials friends and know what's going on and there's a lot more awake i think millennials are characterized as this woke generation and i, I don't i think that's more of a media um illusion than is truth i mean i'm sure you know some some that are you know lockstep with this but you have plenty of friends that are you know hip, yeah i hope yeah. no i mean again at least uh, i'm 30 we were 10 when 9-11 happened. They lied to us about Iraq and Afghanistan. I was 17 when 08 happened. I was like, what the fuck is this? And then <laughs> you roll that straight into like late 20s, 10 years later into the COVID nonsense. It's like, all right, enough is enough. Um, I mean, I, I got there much earlier, but um, there's plenty of us who are calling bullshit on all of this. And then you get books like The Fourth Turning and you just do like a historical analysis of these massive changes in society. And it's undeniable that we're living through one. Like the internet has burst a hole in the power structure that we're, we're currently in the vacuum of, of reorganizing our society, at least from my perspective. And this is part of the volatility that comes with that as people having to quickly understand that the, the incumbent powers are, are quickly losing power. And uh, no, yeah, what we're seeing is a dying uh, system of um, oligarchic control losing its grip on the populace because the lies have become so big, you can't, I mean, they, they have to resort to gaslighting at this point and, and, and threats. I mean, apparently I'm a domestic terrorist according to DHS because I'm exposing something that may cause someone to lose faith in a government institution. That's their definition. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're talking to a Bitcoiner here, so I'm on all the list. Um, yeah. <laughs> but let's, uh, before we dive into like a Bitcoin conversation, all that, like let's, because there are uh, a number of narratives out there, like what is good data? What is bad data? And I th again, going back to what I said in the beginning, I think the data that you're honing in is undeniably good. Like you can't, you can't refute funeral home 
uh, data, insurance, like that. And that's the thing, follow the money. Once the insurance companies... Follow the money. Once the insurance companies begin saying, hey, uh, we've been going along with these vax mandates, but it turns out it's driving us bankrupt, so we need to come out for the sake of our shareholders and start calling this out or, or bringing this data to light so somebody like Ed Dowd can call it out. Well, that, uh, that our goal, my goal has just been to expose the data, throw it out in the public, and then you know at least give people. I, I'm giving people cover to have conversations, and uh, the insurance industry right now is not identifying the vaccine. But trust me, there's conversations going on behind the scenes, and some brave CEO somewhere going to come out and say we were defrauded and we're not, and there needs to be an investigation. So. The worm's turning there. It's 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 both a humanitarian issue and a financial issue for them. Um, you know, but you know they they have to go through their cognitive dissonance. I mean, these insurance companies are conservative kind of, you know, institutional people. And when the government said mandated, it's all safe. They said they they you know they got, they told everybody you had to get it. So they you know they all got it. They're all jabbed. And. You know, I think uh, I think it's just going to take hopefully not too much more time, but uh, stay tuned. I'm, we're we're hoping that somebody breaks breaks the log jam here, and then once once an insurance company says whoa, then it hopefully hits the mainstream media, and then you know the cat's out of the bag. Right think- now, what what we're saying is is bubbling under the surface. Um, it's not in the mainstream, but it's spreading. What I've discovered and uh, my partner discovered is spreading like wildfire. It's going everywhere. Yeah, again, because the data is it's, again, it's a good data. It is the data. Yeah, yeah. You can't you can't deny it. Like you, you can do all these peer reviewed studies about efficacy and spread, but when it comes down to deaths and excess deaths, it's like all right, these these people are in the ground. You can't uh, you can't fake this data. So. No, it's extremely fun. You know, it's so, it's so, it, it's so. I'll, I'll say it, it's so fucked up. It's foo bar, <laughs> yeah. fucked up beyond all recognition. Um, you know, when we were uh, before I went on uh, the podcast or the Steve Bannon show to talk about my discoveries with my partner, we were talking about the data, and when we first were doing the graphs. We did, we did the numbers. And then I said, he said, oh, the numbers in the millennial group are too small. Let's, um, let's switch it to percentages. So we did. And it, you know, it, looked, it looked alarming on a percentage basis. But then I, I, before I went on the podcast, I went back to him and I said, you know, 61,000 people is a Vietnam War. The millennials just had a Vietnam War in because, you know, 61,000 compared to 1.1 million seems small. But look, young people aren't supposed to die of COVID. And we just killed potentially, I mean, I, I'm not, I can't say definitively all 61,000 were due to the vaccine. But a number, a number let's, let's call it between 40 and 50 millennials disappeared in uh, mostly the fall of, and winter of uh, 2021. I mean... What WTF? What the fuck? Yeah, and, and we're not talking about this. Oh, then you, you get uh, I would love for your, I would love for your generation to just get super agitated about this. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm already there. I'm trying to rally the troops, <laughs> but the, uh, but you compound it too before the vaccine even got rolled out. Like the the 
the refusal to to let uh, treatments like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin be used. And I had the doc, the doctor who got me the strike on YouTube for talking about the VARES database. Like that, that's why he came on the talk. Was hey. Uh, I've been prescribing hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin for over two years, haven't had one patient die. And he threw out a number like he, they could have saved just not not the millennial cohort, but overall in the United States probably could have saved 400,000 people. Like if they... No, so you're, you're, you're totally correct. And I, I meant to say this earlier, but I, somehow I, I think I forgot. But there, the demo side was a two-stage process. The first process was denying early treatment and, um, and, and there's evidence coming out that that was actually a plan so that they can make way for the vaccine. So that, that's starting to become vetted, and there's a lot of journalists doing work on that. So stage one of democide was prevention of early treatment. Stage two is mandates and jabs causing death and injury well above what a normal vaccine would. So whether it, you know, whether it was greed, power, or some sort of other nefarious plan, it's clear to me that uh, demo side was this two-stage process: year one and year two. Yeah, and so you've got a background in finance. Obviously, you're a Wall Street geek, self-described. Yeah. Let's not forget. So, like, the, what blows my mind is like thinking of how this coalesces, whether it's uh, whether it's um, related or not, but. Uh, September 2019, you have the repo spasms. You have lockdowns, March 2020, and partially to today still in some places. You have, so that you create new facilities during the repo spasm, essentially open up the Fed's window to allow the FICC, the FICC to, to, um, ex, to get money from the Fed window. We go into COVID print trillions of dollars, expand the, the facilities even further. Um, and now, fast forward to today, we've had all the supply chain issues uh, that we've had over the last couple of years. And we have Russia and Ukraine, commodities markets going crazy because trade is only getting uh, more illiquid as, as geopolitical tensions rise on the international stage. Like how much, combining all these factors, how much of a financial shit show are we in? I mean, the dollar has obviously been dethroned as the world reserve currency. What's going to replace it? Who knows? But we just know that due to the actions of the U.S. government over the last two months, there, there's no way you're going to have a petrodollar slash eurodollar reserve system moving forward. There, nobody can simply trust it. And so we're going to have a grand reshuffling in, in all aspects of life, it seems, yeah. the next few years. Well, the uh, Those of us in finance and Wall Street who are, you know, I guess we'd be called forward thinkers and or conspiracy theorists, depending, depending on your pick, have always known since the great financial crisis, all they did was um, that debt, that bad debt didn't disappear. It went on the balance sheets of central banks. And then the economy really didn't get kickstarted. So the only way that the economy really got kickstarted globally was through government spending. So the central banks propped up the bank's bad debt printed money to kind of keep this system going, um, facilitated a, bet, a, a debt binge by governments across the globe to stimulate their own economies. And, you know, fast forward 10 years, they, you know, they know that at some point, some country is going to go poof, and it's going to cause a daisy chain of events, right? So we were trying to speculate, what would, what would they, 
what would they do? What would happen? What kind of cover or excuse would be trotted forward to usher in the, uh, you know, the next bubble popping and financial collapse? Well, you talked about the 2019 repo thing. Um, the chatter I heard then was it was basically credit hedge funds are starting to get into trouble. And, you know, when the Fed prints money, they don't control where it goes. But a lot of a lot of the lending was no longer done by banks. It was done with uh, junk bond issuance and, um, you know, private equities, you know, lending and wrapping up loans and CLO, the collateralized loan obligation market. So it was an, another shadow banking uh, situation, like in the great financial crisis, you know, b- banking without banks being involved. And that started to wobble in the fall of 2019. And the best ex- explanation I heard was the Fed was lending the investment banks and the banks money who then lent it out to the hedge funds um, through their prime broker brokerage uh, business. So the Fed was indirectly propping up hedge funds. Okay. And that's untenable from a public policy standpoint, you know, bailing out billionaires. Not not a good not a good thing. Right. It was like 0.72 Millennium and Citadel were were at the bottom of that. Oh yeah. All of them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and mostly credit hedge funds who are not as well known as the equity hedge funds, but they they they're all over the place and they're all over the globe. And they all they do is they make spreads and they charge a lot of money for that. But so they were wobbling. There was a credit problem brewing. And then COVID comes along, right? Now, we can get into the whether it was a plan or a convenient excuse. Uh, let's just go with convenient excuse for now. Um, and in that, you know, lockdowns and the, and the little blip crash we had, the Fed printed 65% um, more money uh, year over year, the, the largest printing press maneuver they've ever made in the history of the Federal Reserve. I mean, you can see the charts, the balance sheet of the Fed was like this, then it goes like this. Um, and voila, that problem was solved. And oh, by the way, we're going to allow ourselves to buy corporate credit. They did that. Mm-hmm. So they were, isn't that interesting? Yes. Um, another, another tell for me that maybe the central banks um, were using this as a convenient excuse or new Let's just say, excuse for now, uh, James Bullard from the Federal uh, St. Louis Federal Reserve gets on Face the Nation on April 5th, 2020. April 5th, okay? And he's being interviewed, and she's like, how are we going to reopen the economy with everyone so scared to go to work because of the virus? He said, well, due to technology, we can introduce immunity uh, badges, and we can make people wear badges, and we'll know who got the vaccine when the vaccines come. <laughs> no, and, vaccine and she, wasn't even a, a thought yeah, at that point, right? Said, and, then, and then she said, she said, well, then, um, when we come back, and I, I didn't have the rest of the clip, when we come back, we're going to talk about all the surveillance technology that could be used to implement that. That was floated April 5th of 2020. Now, a, a ton of us on Twitter, known as uh, FinTwit, which you're a part of, into it you know um we uh i was vocal that many were vocal that that sounds insane that sounds like you know you know like gold stars on your on your shoulder meaning mm-hmm. that what is this right well they were that 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 conversation was removed from the national conversation we never heard about it again so they floated the idea then it disappeared and so if in the summer of 2020 if you said that vaccine passports were coming which i did 
you would call the conspiracy theorist, right? So there we are. Um, And now uh, I've seen analysis that the Fed is trapped. Um, And what I mean by that is this rate hike cycle that everyone's talking about and Powell comes out today and says he's going to raise 50 basis points. I call BS on that. They raised 25. That's because they know if they were to keep, this is all, what, whatever he's saying is not going to happen. They, they're trapped. They, they can't, it's the, it's the end, the rate hike cycles ended before it began because the markets have already dictated that. The markets lead, the, 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 the short-term interest rate market leads the Fed. And that's already, uh, according to analysis I've seen, um, there's a, there's a spread between the three-month T-bill and the discount rate. And in history, whenever the three-month T-bill goes through the discount rate, that caps the rate hike cycle. Well, we had that already. So whatever they're doing is kabuki theater. And so the next move is going to be them printing gobs of money because we're going to be in recession by the third quarter. Well, I mean, you talk about the state of food and gas prices here. They're going to be writing stimmy checks within the next few months. It's pretty... Um, it's going to it's going to be pretty politically untenable to not do so, even though it's just going to exacerbate the situation. And yeah, you can't unwind a Ponzi. It's all a Ponzi at that at that level. No, it's a, and the reason why no one sees it is because it's a multi generational Ponzi, right? Exactly. It started in 1913, and here we are, you know, a hundred uh, plus years later, and we're at the end of it. I mean, it's it's gotten the 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 Federal Reserve credit creation system needs constant credit creation. And, and, you know, in the seventies, they had to go off the gold standard and that gave us another, you know, 60, whatever years since the seventies of life to this. And then they created more uh, bubbles and more debt. And then they moved after the great financial crisis, the money printing moved overseas and it's in the international. I mean, so, you know, there's like, um, I think 13 trillion in US dollar denominated bonds and debt. Which is so, like- so, so this is a scheme and it needs constant credit creation to keep it going. And the moment it goes like this and, it, and, and you can't, and you're at the end game, we're at the end game. I mean, everything's on the balance sheet of the governments and the central banks. So where do you go next? Yeah. You don't. No, I, I, which is really like like it's weird how things play out. Like you can predict this for years. It's like, all right, what are the exact events that are going to lead to the the collapse of this this credit bubble that's been blowing for over a century, like you mentioned? And again, like the the isolationist policies that are beginning to take root due to this war and this posturing against Russia. Like I had Luke Groman on last week. And he said, like, yeah, when push comes to shove, people are going to realize. They don't want dollars. They want stuff that you can eat and actually use to build things. And the U.S. has found its stuff itself in a position where we've had terrible energy policy the last few decades. We shut down all the, or we're at least trying to shut down all the reliable um, energy industry that we have here, particularly oil and gas. We've completely hollowed out our manufacturing base because we needed the dollar to be the reserve currency. Triffin. Uh, basically predicted everything that's unfolded in the 70s and it's coming home to roost. And so, we're yeah, we're at this perfect storm of terrible policy and then international conflict that is, I, I think, again, we're at the suddenly phase where where things are are just suddenly going down. Like we, we, two, 
inflation prints, CPI prints, which aren't even official inflation, but they're they're underreporting inflation. It's still hitting forty year all time highs. Like we're we're in the thick of of the chaos. Yeah, I, I will say this. Um, it appears to me over the last twelve years since the Great Financial Crisis or whatever whatever the amount of time it's been. Um, there's been a tremendous inflation in financial assets. So there was some inflation, but it went mostly into financial assets. And the popping of this bubble is going to deflate financial assets. But like you said, it's going to inflate things we need. So it's a one-two punch, right? Um, And the other problem that's occurring is the reason why uh, most of the money flowed in, into financial assets was because of the wage gap between China and the U.S. And so they were still, you know, you could go buy a new you know, big screen TV, you know, ch- you know, more cheaply every year. Um, and they kept gas prices relatively contained. But that wage gap has narrowed to the point where, you know, companies are now going to other countries to take advantage of a wage gap. And so that whole game of money printing and taking advantage of the wage gap is over. And so there's going to be, as, as financial assets deflate, um, people are going to become scared and they're going to want to own real things. Like, like you said, gold, real estate, food, fuel, um, guns, you know, you, what are something in the physical world that's not in a digit, uh, digitized uh, Bank of America portfolio, which is going to go down a lot. Yeah, I don't think people are ready. People no, certainly aren't ready. Psychologically, no. No. <sighs> Do you, would you count Bitcoin in that basket of things people should want? Well, so look in a financial panic, which I think is coming, everything goes down at once. Because I remember this, this uh, distinctly. In the lead up to the great financial crisis, gold bottomed in 2001-2 at like $220 and went up to like, you know, over a thousand into the, into the financial crisis. Um, and it got sold off too in, in the panic, but then went on to new highs. So I, because I, the problem is when in, in a deleveraging event, you sell what you can, not what you want. So people who, who, who are, there's a lot of people levered all over the system and some people, some levered players own Bitcoin, right? Mm-hmm. So when they have to, when they get margin calls in other areas, they'll be forced to sell Bitcoin to go cover the margin call in the other asset, right? Yeah. So Bitcoin, I think gets hurt in a panic, but I think it bottoms out and probably goes on in new highs. So, you know, however you want to trade that, but I don't think, I don't think you're going to have to worry about it you know, not going back to highs anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, we're not a big trading podcast. We don't really care about the price. What do you think about Bitcoin as a parallel oh, it's system? Be, it's an asset that's going to be around. I mean, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, it's the, the cat's out of the bag. They're gonna, I mean, you can see that the regime's trying to criminalize it all of a sudden. They're starting to have all sorts of regulatory bodies look at this. But, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think they can put the genie back in the bottle. What do you think? I mean, sitting here with a with a Bitcoin clock next to me, uh, I'm, pr- I'm pretty I'm pretty bought in. I mean, I'm buying up natural gas, abandoned natural gas assets, so that I can mine Bitcoin. I'm accumulating as much Bitcoin as possible. I'm, I work for a venture fund that's investing in Bitcoin infrastructure. I think, I mean, if 
I mean, I believe what Friedrich Hayek said, like, you're not going to take money. You're not going to fix the money until you take it out of the hands of the government and a sly roundabout way. I think Bitcoin is that sly roundabout way. People talk about reverting to a gold standard, but I think gold's been cucked for the rest of eternity. I think there's no way that it could be a sufficient reserve currency in the future due to just how, uh, how it's been centralized due to its physical nature and the fact that we live in the digital age. Like Bitcoin can do everything gold can do 10 times better. Um, and so, well, you know, the market's already voted on that. Um, people wondered why gold hasn't had the run it should have had, especially gold mining stocks. They tend to go up as well. But I would say that, you know, Bitcoin uh, is huge competition for gold and the market's already voted. So gold is done. The market's already said that, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, gold, gold will be gold, but it won't be, it won't be, the, it won't be, uh, we won't not, we're not going back on the gold standard. No. And I, I feel for my gold brethren out there because I do think we're actually 99% aligned on things, particularly sound money is important uh, for society to actually coordinate and price things accurately. Um, there's a lot of gold enthusiasts, though, just can't um, come to grips with the fact that Bitcoin does what gold does better um, and is more distributed. No, I agree with you. I mean, the market, I mean, if you just look at the price of gold versus the price of Bitcoin over the last 10 years, there's just no comparison. Um, the market's already voted, and I believe the market's usually smarter than I am. So yeah. I don't know. What, the gold bugs, it's like a religion. And, uh, you know, I'm not religious about anything. <laughs> <laughs> Except, except God, but I'm not religious. I'm not religious about anything in this world. Yeah, that's probably a good perspective to take. People call uh, Bitcoiners religious too, um, a certain extent. Well, Maybe you know, they well, are. Bitcoin uh, is early, early enough in its in its growth phase that you can be quasi religious about it, but just don't just know that you know twenty thirty years from now that something else may come along. So that never never be completely religious. But right now. Being religious hasn't been a bad thing yeah. in Bitcoin. No, it has not. Um, no, and it's fun too. They, they, when you talk about critical thinking and freedom and liberty in the digital age, I, I just that's what drew, drew me to it again, being a child of 2001 and 2008 particularly. Like I, went, I was lucky enough to be taking an economics elective class by senior year of high school in the fall of 2008. My professor was like, gentlemen, I went to an all-guys school, he was like, gentlemen, like, this is all fucked up. Like, Go to go to college, uh, and know your enemy, which is like this weird monetary system. And that's uh, when I found Bitcoin, having uh, at the same time that I was studying the enemy in college, studying economics, it really just clicked with me right away. Like, oh, this cannot be controlled the way in the the Federal Reserve system uh, that is controlled by ins insiders is. And, I do think it's a it's a very strong driving force for good in the world moving forward, which is why I do this podcast. Yeah, I don't. I I, I um, it's what's interesting is since I started exposing this data, I would I I you know managing my social media was like a, a problem. I had no idea what was going on. It was growing so fast. But a friend of mine, uh, who's involved on in on Wall Street in the hedge fund community and he likes crypto, he said, "Oh, a lot of the, the crypto guys are following me now." I said. Really? <laughs> so appar apparently uh, there's a, like you said, there's a strong sense of critical thinking and not buying the narrative. And that, that's, you know, 
I welcome all crypto folks to follow me for the truth and, you know, I'll expose what I find. So yeah, well, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of, of you guys. Well, uh, I'm going to correct you a little bit. Crypto is all bullshit. Bitcoin's the only thing that matters at the end of the day. Okay, all right. But crypto is crypto is a manifestation of the fiat bullshit we're trying to get away from. Um, I will say well, it's all, there's a lot of there's a lot of what, what do they call them shit coins? Yeah, shit coins. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, there's there's they're all shit coins except for Bitcoin. It's all about energy right, at so the I'll, end I'll, of the day. I'll, I'll, I'll call you Bitcoiners. <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, you can call us whatever you want. Uh, but not to pontificate here. I do, again, talking about buying natural gas to mine Bitcoin. That's actually where I think the signal is. People, Bitcoin is part monetary revolution and part energy revolution. It's going to usher in an energy efficiency renaissance that people simply don't understand or are ready for yet. Um, well, if that, if it, if it does that, what capitalism is supposed to traditionally do, I applaud that. It gives the, the correct price signals. Yes, um, we're going to fix the, the uh, Henry Adams curve, which got off kilter in 1970 when we went off the gold standard. Sure did. Ed, thank you for your time, your work you do. Um, it, it's extremely important work. I hope that this episode helps get it out to more people and that we, we begin pulling people's heads, sand out, or excuse me, heads out of the sand because uh, it is due time that people realize that there's some fucked up things going on in the world, particularly as it pertains to uh, the response to COVID and the vaccine mandates. And I think your analysis is going to uh, continue to pull people's heads out of the sand. So thank you for that. Well, and thank you for having me on and giving me the opportunity to uh, plead my case. Um, it's alternative voices like yours that are the true heroes of this you know, Gestapo propaganda BS from the mainstream media. So it's guys like you that are, uh, you know, revolutionizing the flow of information. So thank you. We're going to win. We're going to win. It, uh, oh, yeah. That's a, a big, a big saying over here. We're going to win. It's just going to take time. Absolutely. All right. So Ed. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Peace and love freaks. Peace. Okay.